I can start with a rant if you want. All right. Okay. So no follow up. Okay. Get, nothing wrong last week. Zach, <laughs> let's start with your rant. I lost I lost years worth of health data. Yeah, that's um, not too bad. During the week. <laughs> it's not, not too bad. Yeah. It's um years of, of blood glucose, blood pressure and weight. All right. How did that happen? Very frustrating. Let's let's evaluate whether this is Yeah. D- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see I seen okay. we we did judges of how legitimate your rant is. Was this a Zach issue or was that an Apple issue? It is absolutely my fault. But I blame poor UX for <laughs> okay, being okay. able to do this to begin with. <laughs> All right. You, so, you get to rant your heart out, and then we give it a percentage of how much it was Zach's fault and how much it was Apple fault. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm curious to get your take on this then. Um, so, I have an iPod Touch, like a test device, okay. that I keep around logged into my iCloud account, as I do for testing. So far, so good. Um mm-hmm. Yep, you know, just just a thing you do. It's it's sunk with everything. Sunk. So like, is it's got my the... messages on there. Like, I turn it on once a month. Is that the synced? Past to I don't know. Whatever. So I turn it on like once a month, <laughs> and it's got all my outdated reminders. It's got all my outdated messages, and then things slowly come in over the course of like an hour after I turn it on. Anyway, yeah, we, I we keep it around. It's a handy iOS. <laughs> It's a handy iOS 12 test device. Um, it's slow, so it's good for testing performance issues. It's quite a handy device. I've mentioned my like of the iPod mm-hmm. Touch for a while. Anyway, at some point, um, Genius Me thought that uh, it would be a good idea, this was, you know, years ago, to open up Test Flight and just put every app that I'm on Test Flight for on this device, even though I have no need mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... Because I, I needed a few of the apps and I was just like, look, I'll hit install on all of them. Anyway, this week I started running out of space because I needed to update. They released an iOS 12 update, uh, 12.4.8 this week. Uh, I guess it fixes some security things. I needed to delete some apps for a software update. Mm-hmm. Great. I will get rid of the health apps, which I obviously don't need on my iPod Touch. Me not even remembering that the iPod Touch had a health app and, and sunk with health data and all of that. Synced. And synced. <laughs> and... um. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so my fat fingers, you know, you know, you go to delete an app that has ever written to health mm-hmm. and it says, do you want to keep the health data from this app? Mm-hmm. My fat fingers hit remove just instinctively, did, whatever. Did, and then this did, particular. Did, did, did you read the dialogue? I mean, yes, I knew what the dialogue was, okay. but I was just in the like delete, delete, like it just instinct. I didn't think anything of it. Like, so you this know, was the app not never- health data that that app did generate. It was just health data that, that the app has had access to? Sorry, um, the app generated it. So, okay. the app is Health Face, and it's an excellent app. And ironically, it was actually going to be my pick last week, but we didn't end up doing picks, and it was going to be my pick this week. And now I've removed it only because I don't want to rant about... It's not the app, so I need to say this up front. It's the design of Apple Health. Yeah, yeah. But the app is actually a fantastic app that I was going to pick as my pick um, because it has a really like intuitive way of entering health data. It's a lot nicer than the Apple Health app where you usually have to open it, either scroll to your, your metric or... Or search for it and then add the plus and then type it in like Healthface just has your sort of you can set a list of favorites and it's on the watch and it's just really easy for data input so whenever I take a, a manual blood glucose reading mm-hmm. I as well as putting it into my insulin pump I also record it in Healthface and then that sends it off to Apple Health mm. uh, I do the same with every time I weigh myself on scales and every time I take my blood pressure mm-hmm. which are less frequent but are still kind of handy to have Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. Like, I thought the app has probably never even been opened on this iPod Touch. It's definitely never written anything. Turns out, because health is sunk, synced between <laughs> all of your devices, deleting it from one device doesn't just delete the data that the app wrote on that device, which was nothing in my case. It deletes all data the app has ever put into Interesting. health. And I, I thought nothing of it for hours. And oh, then no. I opened... So, like... Probably about six to eight hours later, I was ready to put my next blood 
glucose reading into my watch. Um, Health face was acting a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out all its permissions had been revoked from health. Um, it had no recollection of any readings. And I was like, oh, no, like what? what's happened? My phone's not on a beta. Nothing, none of this is on a beta. Um, something's up. I restarted my phone because I thought, oh, you know, something's busted in the health database. Open the health app. Gone. All my readings okay, that destroyed. Is it's pretty bad. Um, I look. I it's totally my fault. I knew that what that dialogue was, and I shouldn't have hit it. But I think that's poor UX. Like you're in the flow of you want to get rid of this app. It could be for any reason. It's not because you don't like the app. I just don't have a need for it on this device. Mm. And you know, I'm in the flow. I want to get the thing off my device as fast as I can. I'm not paying attention. Yes, I'm a button masher. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I got called that a few times. Yep. Um, probably by, by <laughs> the two of us as well. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't give it much thought. And then gone. Mm. Years worth of health data. No way to restore it because I don't have iTunes backups. Mm. I've only got iCloud backups. And Are we still calling them iTunes backups the now when they live in Finder? What? It's a bit Find, weird. Finder backups. <laughs> Mac backups. Um if I, I believe if I had a proper uh, like backup to my Mac, I would have been mm-hmm. able to restore it. But if it's encrypted, if it, yeah, sorry, if it's mm-hmm. encrypted. Um, given I didn't, there doesn't seem to be a way to restore this, which is great. Um, so I think the way that it works is that the health data. I mean, just just an assumption based on now my experience, the health data is just stored in iCloud. It's not necessarily backed mm-hmm. up to iCloud, so you can't go back and restore from a point in time. It's more just this database mm-hmm. of things that is written to and read from. Um, All right. Were there, yeah. you know, when you uh, reset your device, like if you actually restore it back to factory settings, it asks like, reset, yeah. you sure you want to reset, reset, mm-hmm. are you really sure you want to reset, mm-hmm. reset, and then you put in your PIN code. Did did it do any second, third confirmation or was it literally one button and gone? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's so you go to delete an app, mm-hmm. you say delete app. Yep. App's gone. Do you want to keep this thing's health data? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Or like, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I think mm-hmm. it's removed or, or keep, I think. It's specifically yeah, like saying that. health One data? Button, or is no it like- confirmation. So no second confirmation after you hit. No second okay. com- There absolutely should be. That's the okay. first. I think that's the most it, obvious thing it you can do. 70-30. 70% Apple fault, 30% Zach. <sighs> <laughs> it's actually better than I thought you were going to rate it. But <laughs> Because I think this is, this is crucial enough. This should have a secondary confirmation. It because is. It's, yeah, I agree. But, but I wonder, are there any other apps? that would not be health-based apps that would have that type of dialogue? Is there anything... Mm-hmm. There's, right? Is there any other dialogue? To my understanding, that, I, I think, think I've only just subscriptions seen now. If you delete an app that has yeah, a subscription... Is there is, there is. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's less of a concern because exactly. you can jump back on and subscribe. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah, lose anything yeah. if you so, hit the wrong button. Yeah, they shouldn't be valued the same way, I think. And if you do yeah, have different... No, di- that, you know, I don't know. I actually don't think it should be part of the app deletion process at all. Yeah, especially um, there should be another option, and there is in health. I mean, there can be an option to be like, all right, you want to delete your health data? Yes, show you the health data, show that you had yeah. health data collected for years, and say, are you sure you want to delete this? And or, maybe even ask for a pin code to confirm that, because I think yeah, health data yeah. is critical enough to warrant a secondary mm-hmm. confirmation. Yeah, and and the other thing. Um, like, or say this app has recorded, you know, 10,000 samples mm-hmm. to health over the years. You can go to the health app to delete mm. it because you can. You can mm. turn off an app's individual um, access mm. in the health yeah. and like delete all its data and all but that. But also, especially so, since it's nothing, I mean, it's not 
it's not storing anything that is specific for that app either, right? It stores health data, right. which is an independent sort of thing, which is why I feel like you wouldn't really, it's not really harmful for you to keep that data on your, mm. on, on your device. So that's why I feel like it's not, like, I feel like most people would say no to that dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, I've always, and that's yeah. the thing, I've always said no. I've, you know, I delete and reinstall apps all the time mm. and always say no and, it just happened mm. that this time I didn't pay enough attention. I, like, if it was on my phone, I'm sure I would have been paying more attention because to me, yeah, that's yeah. where my health does. It, it, I know that that's not mm. the way that it works, but to me, in my mind, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. My phone is the one with the health data. Mm-hmm. My iPod Touch is the secondary device that I can do whatever I want on and it won't stuff things up. Obviously, that's a bad idea when I'm signed into iCloud, but that was just my mm. mental mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I might, I might <sighs> even upgrade that to an 8020 because I do think health data I'm, should require yeah. a. A secondary confirmation. And it's a lot of health data. Mm. It's not like I'd had the app installed for an hour. You know, how much data yeah. can an app write yeah. in an hour? But I'm frustrated. Mm. It's nothing to do with the app. The app's actually great. Mm. And like I said, I would pick it as my pick, except it would seem a bit hypocritical. Not um, really. But it's, it's just yeah. a design. Yeah. about also- Apple's implementation of deletion of health. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Integrating yeah. apps. There's nothing we can do around that. I'm, I'm also a bit yeah. surprised that there's no recovery, like yeah. that they keep it for 30 days. Because if you look at things, like yeah. many other apps that are Apple's system apps have those things. Like if you delete a note, yep. for example, the note stays around for a certain amount of time. Like 30 days before they actually... Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. And in order for Photos you to actually too. delete it, you have to go and do it. So, yeah. I'd much rather have my health data be in a, in a trash can for, for like, even if it's a shorter period, right? Even if it's just a, mm. you have 24 hours yeah. to recover it. Yeah. But yeah. you can still recover it in 24 hours. And after that, because it's crucial information where we don't want to give mm. you like 30 days. Sure. Yeah. And that would make the one button delete seem more acceptable, yeah. right? Like, okay, um, you know, it'll be deleted in mm. 24 hours. Go to health mm. if you want to restore. Yeah. Something simple like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm not happy. I was, I mean, I'd kept that data for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that long-term analysis is an interesting thing that you can do with blood glucose data. Um, but, alas, I've started fresh mm. and it's very sad. And I have recorded every blood glucose reading for probably three years. Um I don't actually know because I don't have the data mm. anymore to go back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, with the exception being the time I was on the Dexcom where it re- wrote data to health for me. So I've still got like 18-ish months of mm-hmm. uh, real-time blood glucose data, but I don't have my manual entries, which is frustrating yeah, because they are handy too. Um, so I'll just start fresh and, you know, go one reading at a time now. But also, I, I like, you know, <laughs> no, losing my... Sounds like it, that was a hard hit. <laughs> like, I, yeah, well, I'm upset. Like, I understand that's that. one of the things on my phone. Like, I could, I would be less upset if I lost mm. all my messages. I would mm. be, I mean, photo, I'd probably rather lose health data than photos, honestly. Um, but it's right up there mm. in terms of things I don't want to lose. Mm. Um, it, like photos and and health. It data is the reason I'm always a bit conscious about using iCloud stuff because Apple has <sighs> data level like backups. Like if Apple would have a a bunch of uh, SSDs that fail in their data center, they can recover that. But any delete action yeah. is essentially gone, and there's no you don't have yeah. backup of your data, and I think that's a bit mm-hmm. tricky. I'm saying and that's that- how I feel about using things like iCloud Drive 
Dropbox and and I religiously back those things yeah, up because exactly. I know that you know one accidental delete on an old iPod Touch sitting in a drawer somewhere and boom everything mm. on my computer's gone too. Mm. So that's why I'm really strict with those mm. backups. But there's no easy way to back up health that doesn't involve going to iTunes. And the reason I stopped doing iTunes back, I'm not looking for excuses anymore. This is just uh, an explainer. I was doing iTunes backups, but then I ran out of space on my old Mac yep. and I just haven't started since getting a new one. Like that's, I have the same you know, thing. I'm not doing reason. my yeah. iPhone backups because my iPhone storage is. 256 gig yeah. <laughs> and my my mac is is double that i i cannot yeah. i cannot reasonably spend half my my mac's uh ssd space for for backups especially absolutely yeah if the only thing i actually want to back up is things that are fairly small like my health data is probably a few megabytes i would love to be able to only oh, back no, up those. it's quite large with all your heart rate data that blows it out yeah but not not like 256 gig it, it is definitely oh, no, within no, no. the it's a, you know you're talking probably in the the hundreds of megabytes yeah. not yeah yeah so if i would love to be able i mean i know that feature entirely to back up to to mac in the first place is not getting a lot of love mm. but i would like a more especially considering that most people probably don't care about most of the parts that the backup does back up like realistically yeah. what you care about is the data that you generated and that's probably the smallest chunk would be nice yep. to have something where you where you can back that up, or even make it part of your your iCloud backup. And yeah, I don't understand why it's not tied to your iCloud backup. I I do understand the sensitive nature of health data, where if some if if something is deleted, people want it to be deleted. But also, you could argue the same thing with something like Notes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Notes has that recently deleted, mm-hmm. as Marlon mentioned, and that's okay. And I'm sure people store very personal things in Notes, so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, d- um, I do not understand why there is no recently deleted. Because that seems like... Yeah, an- no, there absolutely should be. Mm. Absolutely. No question. Follow um, radar. I don't even care at this point. Like, that's, it's the only time I'm going to make that mistake. <laughs> like, I'm never going to make it again. I don't yeah, care about other people's <laughs> data. I only care I about my data. my data gone. back. <laughs> it's frustrating. Like, it, that radar's never going to get attention. <laughs> you sometimes know. say that, uh, but... I, I've been surprised that... Like, sometimes you're like, all right... Super legitimate bug. I found this radar and then it goes into an abyss and it never se- never to be seen again. I'm like, that is frustrating. And sometimes mm-hmm. I, I file a feature request, right? And they're like, all right, check out the next build. We added it. I was like, this is a weird. I never thought like a legitimate bug in a framework, I thought they would address. But this random feature yeah. request, I thought they would never do. And they, they addressed that. So I... I, I okay. I, I would, Maybe I will. And worst case, <laughs> worst case, you have a more legitimate rand reason yeah. because you could even say and yeah, i filed a radar yeah. and apple didn't do anything about it which just legitimates your complaint even more so it's a win-win <laughs> fair fair but it does suck it does i i totally understand why you're upset yeah so valid never never delete any apps on your phone that's or any other devices i mean i probably could have just deleted some podcasts too but <laughs> apps were the easier option <laughs> yeah uh, and as we learned health data is big so it, it saves you a lot of storage on that device. Maybe that was why I could update, not the apps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. All right, moving on. Um, any any other things you want to bring up before we go into a... Deeper topic that is super exciting. I think so. No, I, I'm not joking. Okay. Uh, so, I, I think this will be yeah, really let's fun. let's get into it. Um, yeah, so Kai and I were just sort of talking about like, huh, is there like a bigger topic we could talk about? Because I... Uh, I quite enjoy those. Um, I enjoy talking about them. I hope other people like listening to them. Um, so we were talking about... Do you want to introduce this, Kai? Sure. Yeah. So we thought um, there's a lot of debate at the moment about 
monetization of apps, right? So there's there's kind of, I guess, in the broadest sense, there there are kind of three categories, right? There's free with ads, free with upsell, which kind of is split into like one-time unlock and subscription, and then paid up front. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of roughly the three and a half categories that I see for, yeah. for most apps today. I don't think there's a lot of... I mean, there is also like free with limited features. Yeah, yeah but then it's, there's usually an upsell, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And then there's kind of the kind of fringe category where you actually sell a product and the app is just an accessory. So the, the product, the physical product you're selling is the thing you make money off and the app is just a free accessory. Yeah, to something that. like a delivery service. Y- yeah, or... I don't know, a an app for your car. It's like the car is definitely what makes the money, not the app for your car. But we kind of take that out because I don't think that applies to as many developers that, that kind of in, in, in our situation. Um, and I know that, Zach, you're definitely not a big fan of the, the in-app purchase subscription side of things. So I thought that would be kind of interesting to kind of talk about those business models and how we kind of see them shifting now with, with all, everything that happens on Apple side and everything that happens within our ecosystem at the moment. And also also considering how people are sort of pushed to make their apps universally available now on multiple platforms. I think that will have an impact in the business models people mm. are picking. And while talking about this, like I really don't my like we decided to go with a subscription for orbit uh, and we had our reasons for that and we're happy to i'm happy to chat about that but don't worry about offending us Zach. <laughs> no um i think you're in the clear here i, I think orbit's okay as a subscription. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> you, you you know i would tell you honestly if i didn't think that though yeah so i just thought it would be fun um if we start off with Maybe you explaining why you in general prefer paying up front and then kind of go from there. Um, yeah. Okay. So the paying up front thing is like th- there's something reassuring about um, I buy this particular version of software. Uh, I'm not guaranteed that it will ever change. That's fine. Like as in I might not ever get an update, like a major mm-hmm. update, but I own it and I can use it for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a big thing. This was more of a thing when I was a student. Um of like the the thought of like for example picking a podcast client like this mm-hmm. is a small thing but you know when you're uh, 15 years old and six dollars a year is a huge amount of money to be spending on a podcast player because you make that in an hour and you work two hours a week mm-hmm. or whatever it might be um that there's something nice about well no matter what the situation is next year i don't have to resubscribe like mm-hmm. i've just paid for this this app once off and that was sort of my initial thing and um it, it kind of still remains like there are certain apps that seem to be pushing for subscriptions that I don't think make sense for subscriptions. And, um, but then, but then on the other side of that, there are apps that absolutely make sense as subscriptions and that's totally cool. Like I'll pay for a subscription, but I think for me, it just comes down to if there's no, um, either ongoing cost depending on usage to the developer. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I downloaded your app in 2016 and used it every day till 2020 and you have not incurred an extra cent of cost Mm -hmm. based on my usage i don't think that makes sense as a subscription Mm -hmm. um i think there needs to be some kind of either ongoing cost to the dev or ongoing value provided for example new content added for something whatever that might be Mm -hmm. um and the example that I keep going back to, and I'm still upset about this, is Git Tower. Yeah, no, but this is this is the app that I point to as an example of this is a bad subscription. I understand why the developers did it, 
did the subscription model because, you know, you can kind of get away then with less people using your software and you know that you just get that committed few who then basically pay your way and your income is more stable. You don't need to pile together a bunch of updates. You can keep doing incremental improvements. And I think I think you're going to mention a lot of the advantages to developers of doing subscriptions. And I totally understand that. And I get that developers need to eat. But um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, Roof over but their head the on thing, the other hand, though. You know, <laughs> food, food the thing with Git Tower is that it doesn't cost them the more you use the app or they don't provide ongoing value aside from updates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's a completely offline app. And I would like at least the option to buy at a point in time, like say I will buy, you know, the, the updates of version two or version three or whatever it might be. And I don't get version four and that's fine. Um, and if I want version four, I can pay another $50 or another $100, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think for that kind of app where they don't have the ongoing thing, that makes total sense. So, that is something um, that I think you're quite unique. That's a unique opinion for you. Um, the yeah. fact that you are fine just staying on version one when version two is out. I think most people, many people... I'm not saying I would stay on version one, but I'm saying I could make the choice when version two comes out if I'm not in a position where... You know, I've got but, $50 yes. that I want to spend on but, that. But I think many people um, would be against that as a business model. They would be like, I already I mean, paid there, for version one. Why don't the, you give me version two? There's sure, quite sure. a range, right? There's also like, for some reason, that opinion seems to differ in the same person based on platform. Like if you, if we're looking at Tweetbot as an example, right? On iOS, Tweetbot released Tweetbot and then they released Tweetbot 2. And it was a new app that you had to buy again. Mm-hmm. And there was, I, I don't know, that was... Based on absolutely no coherent memory about five years ago. (laughs) Um, Probably not at all five years ago, but a while ago. Um, There was so much outrage that people like, why do I have to pay $3.99 again for an app that I use every day for many hours? Mm -hmm. And it's like, on iOS, that seems to be very frowned upon. And still to this Mm -hmm. day to be like, all right, here's a new app. Mm -hmm. It's the new update and you have to pay for it. Well, on macOS, that seems to be a lot more common where people are Mm -hmm. like, oh, major update, sure. And there's probably multiple factors to that, right? On macOS, if you're not in a Mac App Store, for example, upgrade pricing is a thing you can do. Yeah. yeah. Right? You can have like, hey, existing customers, you pay 50% less than new ones. And people are like, cool. I, I bought the old one last week. Mm-hmm. I get a free upgrade even. Yeah. I bought it two years ago. I definitely want to spend $19 to get all the new things. So everyone yeah. who's jumping on board today pays $40. And I think there are kind of those multiple facets to that that slowly made it like on iOS makes it harder because you might have bought Tweetbot 1 literally mm-hmm. a day before Tweetbot 2 came out. Yeah. And I do understand why people would be upset about that. I mean, in that situation, you could ask for a refund, though. You could, but it, it's definitely not a... It's, it feels... Yeah. It's not it, as well there, There's always a where do you draw the line. Yeah, but it's like, also... Because obviously the refund's only if you... Is it two weeks or 30 days? Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. also, it feels, you know, you support a developer and therefore you're being punished by having to go through that process. I do understand why that might be annoying. And then also all the other complications of maybe migrating your data across is, is tricky and those kind of things. Um, so I, I think that is already like, there's a lot of weird nuance that makes it surprisingly okay in certain uh, senses and not in others but i also think the uh i think we'll jump a bit all over the place for this um (laughs) yeah like for example we've had this on our topic list for two years the (laughs) the ongoing cost argument i totally see that right in theory it makes sense and intuitively i feel the same way um that if if there's ongoing cost i think a subscription makes sense but it's still kind of weird because ongoing cost has again so many different uh areas that have to be considered for orbit we have a server 
the server is means like cost wise is nothing. Like we we spend more more money on food a day than we spend on the server per month. It's such a small fraction of cost. Yeah. yeah. So that think- is hap- but but there's an ongoing level of attention required from you to maintain mm. that server. That server isn't free and money monetarily it might be quite inexpensive, but you still need to maintain that. Sure. So you still you know, if something goes wrong, you need to be rebooting mm. it. You need to be restarting mm-hmm. things. Like it's not it's not a set and forget. Whereas with a lot of apps that like don't hit a network at all, it is kind of mm. set and forget. They will work in their current state. Yeah, but one thing I think many people would still expect with something that doesn't have an ongoing service would be ongoing support. Right, so they would expect that if you they send you an email, yeah. they should get the response within probably mm-hmm. twenty four hours, forty eight hours, and that yeah. that for me seems like an ongoing cost to the same extent because like oh, not exactly the same extent, but you do still have to have ongoing attention and you have to be ongoing like completely available uh, for those users as well, and I think many people mm-hmm. would expect That's that, true. and yeah, then there's another cost which is realistically the developer's time, which obviously is a cost. But I think yeah. that is a different type of thing. And I don't know if that can be qualified. It's a lot less tangible for someone who just finds an app on the App Store to then put themselves in that situation and sort of understand what the ongoing cost is from a developer. While yeah. as, also, well, it's we, not as measurable. If we go into way. our Business 101 class, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to price the cost of updates into the upfront price of an app because you buy it mm-hmm. at that spot and what the app is at that point in time. Um, and it's hard, right? Because if you look at, I don't know, habit tracking apps on iOS, they're about a million. Uh, <laughs> I think they're two mil- How many iOS apps are there? Two million? And a million of them are habit tracking. Yeah, close to two million now. <laughs> um, but there, there's a very broad difference between some of them that have not seen updates in years and others that are being maintained all the time. Like, for example, Streaks, right? If you buy Streaks today, it's not a subscription. Um, you buy today, but based on the track record of, the, of Quentin, the developer, and, and you seeing how it gets updated, you would be you would be shocked if it wouldn't run on iOS 14 on day one. Because yeah, yeah. that is something that you know you can expect there. But it's not yeah. something that Quentin gets paid for explicitly. He's no, getting paid for it by by the goodwill he built over over many mm-hmm. years, maybe. Yeah. But it's not something that... Like someone else who's not as aware of the app store and the ecosystem and developers in it might buy in mm. habit tracking app that's a dollar more, but that doesn't get updates. So it's hard to yeah. price that in because you buy it on the spot and then you might or might not get updates, but it's it's yeah. there's no no association or no connection between, hey, I, I will... The only thing at that point, if someone doesn't update it and your app doesn't work on iOS 14 is you give it bad ratings. So it's more of a... Mm. You you you're trying you to punish the developer for not yeah. giving you the update that breaks the app but I or think, unbreaks I think, the app. But I think that can uh, the thing with people like the, the expectation or not expectation, but the fact that Quentin has put himself up to be a person who is updating his apps cons- constantly and continuing supporting new platforms. I think that is more of a selling point at that point then if you but you might decide to go with that it, over i don't know if app. it is for the majority of his users i think there is definitely a very vocal subsection that is aware of that mm. but i would say 90 percent of his users probably do not know that because they buy the app today because they see it somewhere or someone recommends it but they probably but, wouldn't get it recommended to themselves if the app would only be updated once every i don't know years. I, I, I don't think that is the case i okay. think there are a lot of apps that i've seen on the app store i've 
like we looked into invoicing apps on iOS, right? Just to kind of look, what do other people do? There are some of them that have not been updated in four or five years. And they're they're still sold for like seven ninety nine, but they're super broken on iOS thirteen and and a lot of text fields don't work in iOS fourteen. But they're still sold for seven ninety nine. And I do think a lot of people will not ask for a refund there. So I do think there's kind of this kind of disconnect mm-hmm. between because realistically, on Apple's platforms, there is an inherent expectation that you have to update every year. Like, even if you don't do anything else, you have to have an update ready every every September-ish for the new uh, systems. And, and that's why I feel like there aren't really any apps that can actually be good for multiple years if, you, if they don't get an update at least once a year. No. You're right. And therefore, um, I feel like it's hard <laughs> to have that expectation priced into $2.99 because then you also get this disconnect, right? Now your incentive is, like, just, again, my business 101 class, right? <laughs> you're, you're more incentivized to take care of your new, like, to, to acquire new customers mm-hmm. rather than maintaining your old ones because your old ones only cost you money at that point. You got $2.99 from them once. A single support request already thro- throws all the money they ever gave you out of whack because... No matter, I mean, average North American Australian developer salary. If you sell your app for two ninety nine and you spend ten minutes on support, that is again business one one. Not not making your customers <laughs> happy one one. But mm-hmm. business one one, you lost money on that customer now, um, unless they're vocal enough to recommend it to another twenty people. That is not not a good investment of your time again. Not saying that you shouldn't do that, but yeah, like yeah. just based on business one hundred and one, yeah, y- you should focus on selling to more people more so than making your existing customers happy. And I feel like there's this weird disconnect where it's like, for despite the business model, right? If you're just looking at, we're not looking at the business model itself, just at the outcome. I do think overall, subscription based models are a better outcome for for the developer and the consumer because once. Your ongoing customers are ongoing customers. You need to make them happy and feel supported and feel uh, satisfied with the app ongoing because they are still considering you're, you're, they're still active subscribers that give you money that if you wrong them or don't treat them well, they leave and you stop getting money from them. Like that's one thing. Second of, uh, Second thing is you're incentivized to have frequent updates because you want to keep them happy. There's no incentive for you to hold big updates right for us now with orbit for example we've released eight updates in the last four weeks if we would have built up to orbit 2.0 that we want to sell again let's say for big sur which I mean, is that would not be the very, thing we want to do no it's, it's not the thing we want to do would also be insanely quick right no. um but if if we would have to figure out all right we got i don't know our our two thousand three thousand downloads so far right um if we would need to monetize that again at some point, we would every time we build a new feature, we would consider, is this a feature we want to hold for a major update mm-hmm. or is this something we want to give our existing customers for free? And I think that is, again, taking the, the business model out of, out of the picture. It's better for, for users to get frequent updates where the developer doesn't have to hold anything back. They just release new things that everyone can can use as soon as it's ready rather than it having to be held back as a bundle. And I actually think that is also beneficial for the user from a perspective of you're never overwhelmed with an update. It's very nice to have 
incremental updates where you don't have to have like a everything that you that used to be in a is now in b and everything that we used to have in b is now hidden behind this other tab and everything kind of moving around because you have to find ways of still having major updates and i think now as our industry and and the platforms that we do develop for like ios become more and more mature more and more apps are at a state where they're fairly um mature as well like there are there are apps on my iphone that i used essentially for for the last six seven eight years right i no longer want them to do major updates because they're kind of done they they need to be updated for the new iOS builds and they need to have like small improvements here and there and kind of refine it but i i wouldn't want them to f- feel forced to change their entire app look because look is often what gets people to realize that it's a major update right so it, it kind of creates this um, odd incentive where developers are forced to make major changes not because it makes the app better but ma- because it makes it look different enough to warrant to charge again so I think if we're if we're taking the business model out, it's kind of everyone wins from 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 this kind of more frequent like sustainable maintenance. I I actually yeah I, look I totally agree with incentives being aligned better when um, when you are doing a subscription model. You know you can sort of have that close knit group of customers. There's that ongoing relationship. Like you said, there's the benefit of not having to hold things for a major mm-hmm. release. You can just ship a feature when it's ready because it doesn't matter to you. Um, but there's just there's still something that sits uneasy with me about the fact that I give Tower like a hundred and something dollars a year, and if I stop paying, you know, when my next subscription is up, I can't use the app even in the current version, and it doesn't cost them a cent, and I've give, probably given them like three hundred dollars at this point. And the weird thing is, I feel the same. Despite all my yeah. arguments, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. still don't like subscriptions. But it's like it, it's. <sighs> It's not even that I don't like. It's just it just feels weird. And with Tower, there's no free version. Like it just it's just all or nothing. Mm. It's you you have to pay. And there's anyway, it's weird. Mm. The thing with Tower, it's a great app, and I more than get my money's worth out of it. So from that perspective, I'm fine paying. But there's just that uncomfortable, you know. And like, look, I, okay, when I started working as a dev, Kai, I remember you told me to buy Tower, and it was like you know this seventy dollar <laughs> thing. And to me, that was the most monstrosity expensive <laughs> thing. And I was like, I want my money's worth yeah, out of this. Yeah. And you know, at that time, because obviously I'd only had like really crappy part-time jobs until that point. Mm-hmm. And like spending $70 on software was just like, no, I'm a student. No, why do I have to do this? Um, and obviously my, my perspective has changed, but I think I still hold on to that, um, you know, that, that thought mm-hmm. about, well, what happens if I can't pay the next mm-hmm. year? And then it's like, oh, that's a, that's not a great outcome. Um, but I will say like with something like streaks, and I think you've touched on something really interesting apps like streaks and auto sleep and, and those really successful indie apps that do really well and are a one-time cost, they only work because of how large the target market is. Mm-hmm. They stop working once the apps have sold to everybody in the addressable mm-hmm. market. Fortunately for both streaks and auto sleep, I think that the, you know, the market saturation numbers or whatever mm-hmm. the fancy business term is for both of those apps are well beyond any money either dev would ever need, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is good for both of those devs. Mm-hmm. But if the audience was more niche, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't work for them. You know, if, if instead of, you know, probably a third of the world being the potential target market, uh, maybe a bit less for auto sleep because it requires a watch. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then they would struggle. If, if the target market, you know, if the, the target market was a million people at most, mm-hmm. they would, pro- and, you know, realistically, what do you get of that 2%, 1%? Mm-hmm. Like they would probably need to s- switch to subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, but, but both of those apps, I think, are in very different positions to even something like Twitter. I know Tweetbot's quite popular, but, um, it is probably more niche than mm-hmm. something like Streaks. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, but it's still re- realistically Twitter doesn't have a lot of users compared to other mm-hmm. social networks. Yeah, but it's still it's there is like a lot of developers now build careers on on f- very few apps, like one or two successful apps, and that that becomes their career. As with like traditional businesses too, right? We don't see a lot of people that are like I started a woodworking shop, and when I make make cabinets for everyone in my area i start plumbing and when i fix all the plumbing for everyone i i switch into you know there's there's value in people being like i'm the absolute habit tracking specialist but i that works if if you if your audience keeps growing as we're maturing more i don't know can can a upfront business model sustain for, like streaks can that sustain another 15 years yeah, yeah. i mean so i'm sure quentin is not retiring next year right and and i don't know about his financial numbers but realistically i would like but also does it have to like how many people stay in the same dev job for 15 years you know i'm sure quentin will have other things that he does will will we even be building for ios in 15 years realistically probably not um i know we've made it this far yeah. but but it's it's i i, I like business models where where in in theory where people can say all right we're we're comfortable building this and if you have other ideas and you want to expand sure whatever but i do like the idea that you have something that is where you it feels more like you build a career rather than having to find new people to sell to all the time and if that that you know it's the same thing like quentin is probably also doing really well with like a lot of attention he gets from apple if if that would if that faucet turns off at some point for whatever reasons, uh, disagreement, business models, whatever, it is nice if you have an existing customer base that makes it sustainable and you not having to find and pay and, and get to new people all the time. The same thing happens like if we look at more traditional businesses, I think there's a lot of value in that, that you have ongoing long-term relationships with customers. And I also think that's a very human and comfortable environment to be in right it's really nice like we have some some customers i mean to be fair we've been around for like four weeks so not a lot of long-term customers just yet but it is nice like i sometimes get emails from people that i that i know by name now that send like a second follow-up email and it's kind of nice to to feel like all right those are people that we're i've interacted with a few times now and they seem to care about what we're doing and they're excited about updates we're releasing and then i sent back hey this this thing we talked about last week we we now actually added that in in version 1.3 and i i do think that is a satisfying thing where you don't have to target as much of a mass of people and having to focus on as many new people and having this kind of ability to really cater and communicate and talk to your existing customer base as you have in uh i mean it sounds like a thinking that like the olden times were were glorious but it's like those those kind of traditional businesses it's nice right when you have your your um I don't know, car repair shop that your family have been to and they, they, they tell you to go there with your car and you recommend it to your friends and you know the person by name and it's just, it feels or, like a yeah, genuine... Or just to say something that's more commonly used, a coffee shop, right? You go yeah. to your local coffee shop and there's a barista and they know exactly what you want to order. You don't even have to tell them, but then you chat uh, for like half an hour about other stuff and it's just it's just this relationship that you get and it's not saying that you can't have it any other way but i do like this kind of where it's it somehow feels like a very genuine model i don't know like it's really not a great example but it feels a bit permit schemey like if you sell (laughs) cheap app up front Uh it cannot go on forever while a subscription app or a subscription 
business models or any type of recurring revenue, right? A coffee shop isn't isn't a, a subscription model, right? You go there when you want a coffee and you pay for it, but it's a consumable item. Mm-hmm. But an app, in theory, is not a pro- product that you build once and ship, right? If you yeah, sell, yeah. if you sell, I don't know, a phone. No, it's also a bad example. A mouse, like a computer mouse, to a customer. They pay you 50 bucks for a mouse, they get a mouse and they use it f- until it breaks. And then mm-hmm. they, if they were happy, they buy another one. Yep. No software is ever a, I, I sell it once and you use it as long as you want. Because there's, it's such a, it's such a changing environment all the time. There's no software that's, I've never seen software that ship once, I mean, more recent times, right? We're not talking about 80s. But like, I've not had a single app I bought on my phone that never got an update. That's just not a thing that happens in software. Everything needs consistent maintenance, but there's no attachment to that in in like payment and value. So it's, it's, it's hard. And then there's also the flip side, right? For marketing, subscription is really hard because media outlets and even apple they like to talk about your big new releases right uh try to say like if you're trying to sell someone on on writing about your let's say your your new app 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 update it's a lot easier to say it's a major update 2.0 we added Mm -hmm. like this laundry list of features those three are core new features hey maybe you want to talk about this because it's super exciting it's a lot easier to do that than to say over the last three months, we released a lot of interesting things. You want to talk about that just because it's exciting to to talk about a new thing a lot more than it is to talk about <laughs> small iterative approach like updates that build but up think, to something I, I, bigger. But I, I, I do think that's where the two business models differ and are beneficial for different reasons. So if you are a person who, or if you if it is an app that has an ongoing subscription, then you might not get a frequent like interest of press or you're not you're not getting frequent stories written about you because you continue incrementing on your app but therefore you get the benefit that people are happy to pay for a subscription because that's the type of service you provide to them while as the other approach where you would hold things in order to get a bigger splash now and then from the press that would be beneficial for the other type of business model so i don't feel like you need both of those um, necessarily those are just two different ways of benefiting from different models mm-hmm. yeah maybe it's a good point. Um, what I wanted yeah, to... I, I, like, I don't think there's one right way for every app, mm. but I think, yeah, we do differ a little bit on perspective of subscription versus um, paid up front. I don't know. There's just something nice about not having to constantly see renewal yeah. emails going yeah. and paying no, all this I, money. I, I agree. Special, right? That can get yeah. really tiring. Yeah. yeah. And... And on iOS, unfortunately, there's no good way to do it. But on the, I mean, on the Mac where you have way more control, it is easier to do things. Like I think Sketch has a really good subscription model mm-hmm. where you subscribe for say a year and you get a year's worth of updates. And then once your subscription lapses, you can still use Sketch mm-hmm. at that current version. Mm-hmm. And there's something reassuring about that. It's like, okay, I might not want to renew my subscription to Sketch every year, but I still have paid hundreds mm-hmm. of dollars over the last few yeah. years, so I can still use yeah. the app. Yeah. even And I might be five versions behind, and I'm okay with that. And if I am desperate for a new feature, I can cough up the mm-hmm. money. But um, but Sketch isn't something that I'm going to pay for all the time. Um, I, I agree in theory. I think that is a really good model. But then you have the problem with Sketch where it's like, if you use Sketch 50... And Sketch 51 comes oh, out, they're no longer I, compatible yeah. and they have no incentive yeah, of I making know. it compatible because they make money. It's not you... perfect. And it's like, it's but you, you kind of have those weird incentives now where it's like making it not compatible with the new version 
is is a better business move than making it compatible so it's it's yeah. it's always a hard balance of like all right what do you want to do but it's mm. it's definitely better than than saying you now lost all your access so i i it's yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a balance right mm. but also convincing um consumers to do subscriptions is difficult i i, I am <laughs> really me, curious about numbers. <laughs> yeah yeah i know um i actually don't know people who subscribe to apps like in real life mm-hmm. like nobody i know in real who isn't a tech p- tech person mm-hmm. for lack of a better mm-hmm. term is paying you know 30 dollars a year for a weather app mm-hmm. or even six dollars a year for a weather app mm-hmm. you know because that's sort of the range in this country of, of mm-hmm. weather apps um no but like people will pay for apps up front mm-hmm. they will happily spend two three dollars it's a bit harder mm-hmm. than a free app obviously but they will do that and they understand that trade people will pay for in-app purchases I don't talk to people regularly who go, oh, I subscribe to this app. I subscribe mm. to this workout mm. app. I subscribe to this weather app. When, you know, here I am on my home screen, there's probably like three or four different subscription apps mm-hmm. that I will happily pay for. Um, I, I think it can be a harder sell, but ultimately you have to sell to less people because generally speaking, the value of a subscriber over a few years is far greater mm. than mm. Um, somebody who just pays your in-app purchase or pays mm. your download. Um yeah, look, I don't know. It's I definitely I agree with everything you're saying. I just there's just some apps that do subscriptions that I don't think should be subscriptions. But it's also hard. Like it's it's hard, right? Certain things that I think are good good practice for subscription apps are really hard to do on the on the App Store, like both iOS yes, and macOS, yes. right? The the sketch approach you can't really do mm-hmm. in any reasonable no, way no. Uh, on 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 app stores. So it's also no. it's not just what is the best way you want to do it, but also what is the best way you can think of doing within the realms of the um, of the app store that you're in mm-hmm. or whatever environment you're in, right? Um, yeah. So what we are trying to do is, or what we are doing is, that you're losing right access after, but you never lose access to your data because we'd never want... And to- that's the really a sensible approach in your case. Mm-hmm. So I think 1Password does the exact exactly. same thing, mm-hmm. where if your subscription ever lapses, you're never locked out from your yeah. password. And that was actually one of the the important factors before I signed my family up for 1Password was, you know, if for whatever reason we stop paying uh, and move to another mm-hmm. service or we just stop paying for whatever reason, mm-hmm. we're not ever going to be locked out of our accounts. Mm-hmm. Sure, we can't add and we'll have to find a new password manager if that was the decision we mm-hmm. made, but we would always be able to log back into 1Password and get data that we needed. And mm-hmm. I saw that as a critical uh, component to uh, agreeing to do a subscription for 1Password. Mm-hmm. Yep. 1Password's one of those other ones where I'm like, Yes, they do syncing, but I don't think that justifies a subscription because it's basically the same price mm-hmm. as the like per version was mm-hmm. upfront. Mm-hmm. It's so it's weird. Still, so I, for one password, I still pay the upfront one. Ah, uh, nice. I, yeah. I don't know. I, mean, we, like, I somehow grandfathered into that, and and nice. But nice. I don't know. It is still possible to do that, but we do the family one, yeah. and okay. it, like yeah. subscription makes it goes through a company. Like it's all mm-hmm. just. But so I think, I'm interested but, oh, um, because I think we we've been sort of talking about. Many of the examples we're making now are about apps that used to have version-based updates where you pay for each new version, and now they have moved over to a subscription. Mm-hmm. And I think that changes both the that changes the. You also seen a shift in the mindset of consumers around like what what they expect from an app. But you also see a but you also see that many de- many developers and many companies have decided to move over to subscriptions. So I just feel like we've been talking a lot about the different. Um, 
sort of approaches. And I think you've been saying that like, if you have a, if you have a subscription based app, it makes sense. You would expect regular updates, but I just think probably even five years ago, like as recently as three or five years ago, and probably even today, I think many people still expect that to be a thing from apps that they pay up front. And I don't, I'm curious, what do you guys think is the reason why developer have had the need to move over to subscription in order to continue using that, having that type of service, while as that used to work in the past for a paid upfront? I mean, there, there are a few parts to that, right? So I think there's one thing is if you want to be on the on the uh, in the Apple ecosystem on the stores, you cannot do properly do that, right? It's really hard to say. I do like paid upgrades because you can't really advertise them properly in your old app. Mm -hmm. You then have to kick them into the app store to buy the new one. You can't do uh, upgrade pricing as we talked about earlier. Migrating the data across different like iCloud containers is really awkward. There are like a whole bunch of things that would be really hard to do the traditional upgrade pricing. And I mean, that was a complaint that people had on the app store since essentially year two of the app store because people are like hey we would like to do upgrade pricing how can we do that and apple's like yeah we you, you can't um so i think that is that is one thing it's like all right if you want to be on the app store then you have to figure out an alternative to upgrade pricing and one is i mean there is comfort in knowing like rather than being like hey we have upgrade pricing and every random interval we might put something behind a paywall that is super essential to you or that you would like to do. And it's it's semi-random and semi-price, price, like fluctuating in price, right? You might get a major update to, to Tower that would be $150. And you're like, whoa, really? <laughs> Didn't expect to pay $150. Well, now you know you pay X dollars per month mm-hmm. and that's probably not going to increase anytime that's true there's no surprises like, you, that, like yeah, and for okay. for like certain things like if it's a business expense like subscription is actually beneficial in, in that capacity as well because paying for a service and access to that there's it's actually in a lot of countries it's easier to use that as a business expense they're, they're like those kind of things and then there's also i do think as we mature as platforms more and we've sold like tower is probably five years ago they might have reached 10% of their audience. Maybe they now actually sat- get to a point where mm-hmm. they saturated their audience of developers who care about mm-hmm. Git but not mm-hmm. don't want to use Git in 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 the command line and also don't want to oh, use man, one it's of It's such a hard market because mm-hmm. so many devs are like no, Git, I'm pure I'm pure mm-hmm. Git person. I will only use the command line. <laughs> and that's fine, right? That, that... Git is not meant to be visual. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to see what I'm doing. <laughs> um, it's such a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's it's like and then there are also multiple git clients that are u- having graphical user interfaces that are free or like because a lot of developers who knew use git and a lot of developers hobby projects then become things they actually want to use themselves and then they're like oh i don't know i i work at facebook i make 200 million dollars a year might as well sell it for free because i don't care about any other money anymore um and and you compete with that right it, it's hard to to have that if you reach like 90 percent of your audience you know that it i mean i'm sure the the tower people have looked at their sales numbers and realized whoa our our rate of new customers is declining like crazy we have to figure out something else i don't think they were like 
we already have five private planes each of us and and multiple boats and we we cannot fit any more houses onto our our uh, uh, lots right <laughs> they they probably looked at that and were like all right if we want to keep doing this for another 10 years which mm. i'm sure they want to because they seem to be quite passionate about this good stuff um and they're good at it mm. yeah, it looks like they're pretty good at it um yeah. they they probably looked at those numbers and were like well, it worked for the last five six years when mm -hmm. we when we sold to more and more new people and the work was still spreading mm -hmm. but now we saturated what we think is our addressable market mm -hmm. and now we have to figure out a way of making this sustainable for the next 10 years okay and and i totally get that like when the app, and i think it goes back to the point marlon made like when the app store was new there was a bit of a gold rush and people just buying apps and you know maybe discarding them after a few mm -hmm. months and, and there was a lot of money going around we've probably reached a point i know that tower is a mac app and it's not quite the same mm -hmm. but it probably followed a similar trajectory where initial sales were great because it's this novel new tool mm. that works really really well but then they get to a point of well we've we're kind of stuck with almost everyone or you know we've got a loyal group of customers and it's getting more difficult to find new mm. ones mm -hmm. um and and so subscription makes sense and look i totally get that and like power to them if it's working mm. it's just something that i don't agree with mm. and and i understand you got to make business choices and it's working for them so that's cool yeah. but, but i also think another I thing still that struggle you, to agree. another thing that you would notice uh, like another reason why you might need to shift your business model now is that it, since it is a mature system and since the apps are mature you potentially have a lot of users on your system. So there are a lot of people expecting you to continue shipping new updates and people expecting you to respond to your support requests. Well, it's like on day one, it was, it wasn't that much like, or even a year into the business, you were able to manage those things without, and, and, and like the continuous cost, the continuous flow of money that you got from new customers was enough to cover for that. But now you might not get as many new customers, but you still have the same amount of customer to support that you've been gathering over the last five years. So maybe that also makes it harder to sort of weigh those two at the same time as you continue shipping updates. But so also the I, I don't know if that's that's a problem, but that could be just a just a shift of the platform being more mature. That could also cause But also the ever expanding universe that iOS was in the first few years, right? Apple sold yeah. 2x, 3x as many iPhones every quarter than mm. they did in all the previous quarters combined. Like we had really this, it felt like that expanding universe mm. where it's like every, every Christmas or something, indie developers had the best sales period because mm -hmm. people got new iOS devices for Christmas and then they bought all the apps because they want to see what that thing can do. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. and that sort of ties into what I was saying about like autosleep where autosleep's addressable market can is continually growing with every apple watch that's sold mm -hmm. and you know even if they sell to 0.001 percent of apple watches or what, whatever mm -hmm. the, i don't know what the percentage is um that's still a huge market that's ever increasing mm -hmm. like literally probably every few minutes um if not more yeah. so you know it, mm -hmm. there's there's a difference there between that kind of app and something like tower which i mean for the sake of this discussion we're assuming has kind of saturated mm. its market we might not yeah. have but mm. we're assuming but it's 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 inevitable right i i think at some point even if it yeah, wouldn't yeah. have been this year you can still look at the trend line and be like all right realistically they're not 18 billion developers that would use our yeah. app mm. and no exactly of course your address like your your gains or your your kind of sales will be higher on day one than on day yes. two hundred, no matter what you're doing, because yeah. you know if you have every but single customer you have reduces the the addressable market by at least one. So yeah, and I think I said just this to you before, but it seems like the approach you're taking with Orbit and its subscriptions is finding that sort of niche core group of customers, and you know you don't need 
thousands and thousands and thousands, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, you're okay with a smaller number and just finding those recurring um, users who are going to support you mm-hmm. and keep the app afloat. And that's kind of, that I, I totally get from your perspective, that's a really good mm-hmm. position to be in to, you know, only have to sell to, you know, a thousand, two thousand, I don't know what your numbers are, but like, you know, your, or your goal numbers, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, but yeah, having that core group as opposed to continually needing to go out and find a hundred new mm-hmm. people a day to yeah. sell this. If, thing if we get to a thousand people, we never have to worry about, uh, a roof or food again, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and that's really good. So you don't need to, you don't need millions of potential people mm-hmm. that you're trying I mean, to. Solve. We're still hugely ambitious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, totally. It's, like, it's, and and you know, it has potential. But we also but like there are different things, it. right? We we don't want to do VC funding. We don't want to do ad stuff, mm-hmm. right? We we want to get it, something that is a, yeah. a business model that is honest, where yeah. people pay us, and we felt like the despite us also being kind of on the fence about subscription ourselves, Mm. we felt like that was the most honest business model that we could get to because we think we do want to, we, I mean that we ship like two updates a week and by the way, not bug fixes, actually like nice, nice improvements to features. Uh, We're yet to get a single bug report, which is, which is fun. Mm. Um, But we, we do not want to change that cadence significantly anytime soon, right? We do want to, we have like year plus years actually of, of things we want to add to it or things we want to improve upon. And we know that, and we know that there will be years of work ahead of ourselves. So we thought the most honest business model in the current state we're in, and realistically, there is a lot, a lot of way we want to go was this business model. So we just thought this was the most most aligned business model for us and we'll see how well it w- will work right i i do understand that a lot of people are scared off by subscription and especially i think there is also the the kind of a problem with people forgetting to unsubscribe and we're trying to make it really easy to unsubscribe if you want to because to be honest apple's unsubscribe flow is is a bit weird where you would think right if you subscribe in the app you would unsubscribe in the app and i see why users would think that way hmm. or like we got a um an email from from a from a user saying hey can you please cancel my subscription i i i, I do not i sign up for the trial but i just want to have a look hmm. and we're like we can't do that and yep. it feels weird right because if you if you can sell it in the app you would think you can also canceled in the app yep. but instead yep. we have have a link that links you to the mac app store where you then have to cancel it and it's a bit awkward so i do understand why also people might be more hesitant because it's easy to forget to unsubscribe mm. well if you buy something up front you, you if you if you consider the money lost you just move on never think about it again well well if you forget our app for the next 10 years that that is actually quite a sizable sum over over that period Mm. so it's 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 kind of that but i also think we're we were thinking about when we when we thought about our business model was the future of apple's platforms and the future of where we want this this app to go Mm. we will not stay on macOS, right we're working on ios i mean we will stay on macOS. we will just not only stay on macOS. thanks molly Um, that's an important uh, difference. But we will be on multiple platforms in the future. And Apple's kind of direction right now is very much in that direct, mm-hmm. in, in that uh, kind of Apple platform developers and not iOS or macOS or iPad developers, yeah, right? Yeah. Our plan is to be on all of Apple's platforms. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think that is one reason why we will probably even get more and more apps that will be subscription-based because you can't... Even if you have 
two apps that are completely different that have completely different source code um that would that works on macOS and on iOS even if you put basically double the work into make those two apps perfect uh, that would still it will be hard it, it can be hard in the future to charge twice for that because now people users expectation will change again people will start to think that if you get an app on iOS it will be there on your Mac as well and they are not expecting to pay for that one so i think from that perspective, I think we will see so many shifts in the in in the business models that are viable for people in the future. So Especially I think we will if, see if another. If you care about those platforms, yeah. like if you just dump whatever, do whatever. Yes. But if you actually want like first class macOS support, first class iOS support, first class iPadOS mm. support, yep. and and a watch app. There is a lot of maintenance that you have over. Yeah, even if you have one code base, I think you still need to make Mm. sure that it works perfect on all of the platforms. Mm. And the the nice thing for for us, I think, is also you pay if you're if you subscribe now in the founders rate, you get more value out of it with every month that passes because the app gets better. We get get uh, we support more platforms. So there's also like in. You, the, the value you get out of your subscription is actually increasing over time, which is is kind of interesting. Rather than having to now be like, at the moment, we think a lot of users that we have and that like the app on macOS might not get a lot of value out of the iPad uh, iOS app because they they work from their computers and and the iPad uh, the or iOS app might be like something that that would be fun, but not something that gets a lot of value for for those existing users. But we now wouldn't want to try to sell that app at a sustainable price as well. Like, what would that be if we're saying like thirty dollars because it's like a app for 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 like people that do do work and make money with using our our tools? Kind of weird, especially for users that might only want to use the dashboard every now and then on their iPhone because they're curious. So I feel like it allows us to just say, look, you subscribe, you get it everywhere. And if you only use it on iOS, or even if you never use it on iOS, but having it on your phone makes you feel a little bit better that if you have a quick look at an invoice, you can do that. Despite you never doing that, I think that is that is value that we can now provide essentially as included in subscription that would otherwise require a lot of weird, like, all right, uh, we kind of have to price it for people that use it exclusively on iOS, but we also don't want to scare off people that already support us on macOS and charge them again for something that they might only want to have as a comfort Mm, thing. Yeah, or again, if we would have a paid upfront cost and we would have started with an iOS app and we had polished it for iOS specifically, I think in a year or two, people would expect that to be available on on macOS as well. And we would want to make it available on macOS, but it would be hard to put as much focus on that version of the app if it would have been a paid upfront app. Because if you, if, yeah. yeah. If you read the room, Apple's very clearly pushing universal apps and, and Yeah. And and that's almost where subscriptions make a bit more sense. You know, instead of having to pay like thirty dollars for a Mac app, thirty dollars for an iOS app, thirty dollars for a watch or like whatever however mm-hmm. you price. Um, instead, somebody subscribes to Orbit. Mm-hmm. They don't subscribe mm-hmm, exactly. to Orbit, the Mac app. They don't subscribe to Orbit on their Mac. Mm-hmm. They don't subscribe. Yeah, they're subscribing to Orbit, period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if one day that looks like a website mm-hmm. and people use it ex- exclusively through the web interface, that's cool, mm-hmm. too. Um, they're just subscribing to your service. Mm-hmm. And as things go on multiple platforms, and that's definitely the trend that um, we're heading towards, mm-hmm. 
it it does make more sense. I think actually, and not to derail the conversation, it doesn't really relate to what we've been saying, but- <laughs> Derail away. <laughs> you're in a really interesting position where your app is a productivity tool for people who run businesses. And I think that there's a very different um, uh, threshold for paying um, when something is business related. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's literally saving time and money, mm-hmm. which sounds cliche, but um, to to people who use it, if it enhances their productivity, then the cost almost doesn't matter, obviously mm-hmm. within reason. But, you know, nobody's going to fret over 50 versus $100 for a tool that might save mm-hmm. them an hour a week or yeah. whatever it is or make their life easier in some other way, especially when it's a deductible and, and all of those mm-hmm. kind of things. It's a bit different from selling consumer software mm-hmm. um, where somebody is parting with the money mm-hmm. And but but they don't gain back time or money as a result mm-hmm. of that. They might gain something else in their life, but it's not time or money. Yeah. It's, it's I don't know. For some reason, I find people tend to think about uh, those kind of things differently when it's um, saving them time and mm-hmm. money, like from a work slash business perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that's very common. It, you know, you see things like business pricing is often a lot more expensive than mm-hmm. consumer yeah. pricing for exactly the same bit of software. Um, and it, you know, they have different licenses and stuff, but it's because of a, a business's willingness to pay for something that makes them productive versus, say, a student or somebody a hobbyist. Like, there's there's different thresholds there, and so you can price differently. Yeah, but it's also like some business software has those kind of. I mean, first of all, business pricing is very strange in general. We really didn't. It's definitely a bit of our target audience, but we wanted to build something that is. I don't understand. <laughs> different rant. Why, as soon as you target businesses. You have to be super weird. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like you, you know, contact us for pricing. But it's like all of a sudden, it's like we can no longer give you the price. You contact us, and then we maybe negotiate a price. It's like we can no longer just have a clear pricing structure. You now need a calculator and a supercomputer to get get to the, the bottom of it. And every feature is an upsell. And if also why per computer licensing? You know, you you mm-hmm. buy it's not per employee or no, or per no. person. It's like because that 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 would make sense. No, it's per per machine. So if you happen to have a second computer, aren't people machines, Kai? <laughs> but it's so weird, right? No, I know. It's like, I know. It's, like it's per very seed license, it's a lot less but it's humane. Per, like no, we. I much rather have like I, I, we wanted to focus on something where the pricing mm. is very consumer focused or yeah. or Another focused thing- on people that that use it. Right? Yeah. It's like if you're a person that want to use Orbit, you pay us the subscription and if you happen to have one mac mm-hmm. cool we think you get easily the value that we're providing out of mm-hmm. the money you're paying us if you happen to be a weirdo and you have 12 macs okay weird life choices but you still get you, you get value out of that if you then also happen to have an iphone and an ipad that's fine you know it's 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 we're not trying to our we we want pricing that is very clear and the, the entire idea of this was that it's we we picked a pricing model that the closest aligns to what we think is honest incentive and value kind of interchange and and something that is easily explainable we didn't want to have something where it's like contact us because we need to to calculate your pricing yeah, or we're yeah. trying to extract as much as we can from you yeah so or we, we didn't so want to have like, something like oh if you want to bill in different currencies we think yeah. that you're an important like we think you're a big enough business so you can pay us more like we don't want to do that or like uh, i see this some- is something that annoys me about my yeah 
uh, accounting and invoicing mm. software. I get 20 bank statement thingies a month yeah. before mm. I have to pay more money. And it's like, yeah. why? Yeah, because yeah. Like, that's, that's, stupid. that's probably because they expect that if you get more than that, you have more money. <laughs> so you can... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I know this sounds a bit harsh, but I think... It seems to be like that, that they, certain features are more like power features, like power user features. And I, I see that, but I just think you should not be concerned about scaling up your business. Like you should not be worried about needing to send one more invoice if that costs you more money. Like you should, you should be oh, comfortable. I only get five invoices a month. So <laughs> yeah. some clients have to make sure their monthly payments are not too weak. That's what I'm saying. Like that, that feels a bit ridiculous. You should encourage people yeah. to continue growing. Yeah. And uh, I don't, like I don't I wanted the pricing to be very simple so I rather want to be like look you get all of this it's fine we'd make it simple for mm. you to understand like I said you shouldn't need a calculator to figure out if this is like beneficial for you to upgrade to this like we, we just wanted to be very clear and we don't want people to run roadblocks just because they have one month where they happen to have an extra contract mm. and then the next month you know at the moment right a lot of people might be having less work than usual and we don't yeah. want people to have upgraded the months before because they just added one extra invoice mm -hmm. and now they're forced to pay us extra money. That just feels not aligned I with our goals. I actually do that for my accounting <laughs> software. So but it's silly, right? You Isn't have it to silly? Be, yeah, it's really, it's really silly. So you have to be on a higher plan to pay yourself superannuation, <laughs> yeah. um, which is like our retirement savings fund mm -hmm. sort of thing, um, which is mandatory in this fine country. <laughs> um, Wait, so it's mandatory? Yeah, so it is mandatory. But it's you mandatory. still have to pay yes, extra for the feature. To, uh, to use the On feature. On my accounting yeah. software, okay. yeah. So, so you could go through the government systems okay. and it's free and whatever, but it, it's not worth my time. Like, yeah. I will upgrade. So every quarter, I do one month on the higher plan yeah. for my accounting software just so that I could... Because it's... I mean, it's cliche, but like literally one click, it is basically that to pay yeah. yourself. Whereas when you go through the government system, like I would spend hours trying to navigate the thing and it's just, I'm happy to pay the $40, but it feels stupid mm. that I have to upgrade and then remember to downgrade exactly. a month later it's still a back to my nice $20 a month yeah. plan. Yeah. And that, that is yeah. something that is slightly frustrating about software. And you don't want to have like this negative feeling about it. Like as soon as you got to do your, yeah. like, like I said, as soon as you're going to send one more invoice, we don't want to like, Put up but, a message saying, yeah. hey, you have to pay for this. But at the same time... But also, what accounting software has says, we give you access to payroll for one person and it doesn't include super, which is mandatory yeah. if you've yeah. got somebody yeah. on your that payroll. Is, that's that's beyond stupid. Mm. Like, So I have to upgrade to, I think, the five employee yeah. plan just to get super access. And there's no like super add-on. Like, I can't say for yeah. an extra $5 yeah. a month, I get super for that one employee. Yeah. It's, no, it's all enough. But that's where this convoluted yeah. pricing comes in. It's like... Yes, I hate it, it. It feels weird to pay. You wouldn't pay, I don't know, let's assume the upgrade is to get to five people $30 more, hmm. but you wouldn't pay $30 more for this mandatory super feature. Yeah. But because you're saying it's not just that, you also get four more employees that you don't need. It, the pricing seems more reasonable because you get a lot yeah. more and you're yeah. like, well, I only need the other part. And unlimited it, bank reconciliation. Yeah, that's but, right. But, uh, <laughs> but I do think, like, I see the point of charging for adding more users right if you have more people employed that yeah. makes sense because they're if they are actually using the software directly then i see the benefit of that but it's also but a, a again i think an honest scale yeah. two people working get twice as much value out of the app as one person did and three people and four people it scales linearly with how many people use it you know mm. but i don't think if zach uses software across two computers he gets he's twice as productive no it just he happens to be in a situation where for whatever reason he was either forced to or in a situation where he uses two computers mm -hmm. and i think that is almost uh, to me that doesn't feel like the right model to to 
punish him for having a work computer and, and a personal computer where they, he both uses for work, yeah. rather because he's still one person that just happens to be in that situation. So yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. And it's it's and not also, like he's going to look at both computers at, at yeah. once. And even if he does, that's weird, but it's it's fine. Yeah. He's you still the you. one person. <laughs> but um, I also think we, we also wanted to have a model where it's like, we want to build this for many, many years. Mm. And having any kind of security of a certain i mean it will always be churn but overall seeing all right this is kind of our base number at the moment that we get per month and we hope that's growing to a part where that's that's we can focus on that uh, without having to worry about money um to for food and, and roof um <laughs> we it, get it you <laughs> you don't have to disclaim that it's for food and food yeah, and roof yeah i just want to say it's not it's not about the seventh private jet um it's there, that actually does benefit the users a lot that we can spend all of our time to make this the best thing it can be yep. for everyone yep. and I, I do think that again subscription difficult in, in, for different reasons but I do think we will see more and more of that over the next few years especially considering that I do think the, the value propositions and the value really aligns between the user and the and the um uh, the developer and also Apple's push in that direction and and it will probably split into two tiers where it's kind of like the the, the kind of app like for example things right things is a very expensive app that is really good but you have to buy it on all platforms and I, I don't know if that's something people are willing to do everywhere um and and then so I, I i do believe we see something that kind of goes a lot of those kind of apps will move to subscriptions where you you as a user have a subscription and use it on all your apple devices all your apple ecosystem platform whatever we want to call it um and if you start paying you get read-only access i think that's that's the best thing we can do within apple's uh, guidelines and then there's the other one that is more towards like um access to content like the netflix and the spotify and apple music where you pay as long as you want to have access and then when you're unsubscribing you no longer get access because that makes sense right you you if the access to not not your content is the only thing it makes sense to revoke that if you're stop paying well i do think if if you're selling access to to the, to a system where you provide the data and we yeah so i was just about to say it's it's who owns the exactly. data who entered it um whose data mm. is it it's if it's music you don't own it as the exactly. user um spotify doesn't even own mm -hmm. it it's yeah know, and then then there i think the the best platform citizen will then offer a read only mode for for data that you provided because i think you you, you got to do that that's super weird to to not allow that mm -hmm. and have an export option ideally i think that's the people that kind of go beyond will also have an export button where you can get access to your data in some kind of um either human or machine readable format so you can move it around and i mean for us we we do that anyways because we want to have that so you can import it into your accounting software for example um but for for others also that you have a way of actually getting your data out and i mean some people might want to export it to for for their own backups you know that's fair too i mean we do do backups and and i think we have a pretty good practice of making sure that all of our customers data is is backed up frequently so if something goes wrong we we can help them out like <laughs> even if it's even if it's not our fault right if if uh let's take a random user zach decides to delete all his data um <laughs> we actually have an option it can happen <laughs> <laughs> so i've heard we do actually have options to say all right if this was a genuine mistake we can restore your, your data and figure out how to how to get that back 
And I think that is that is important and, mm. and being able to do that both on a you do it yourself, but also we do what we can do to 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 make everything uh, as 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 I guess backed up and as secure as possible is there their benefits to that. But export I do think will will be an essential part for those kind of businesses yeah, in the yeah, future. It's something I mean Apple Apple does that health. I mean in this particular <laughs> example didn't work out too well. But like Apple has a lot more places where you can dump your data as a developer with like where they you dump things into iCloud or you dump things into into health and Apple kind of holds on to that. And just because you move the app doesn't mean all the data goes away unless you hit the delete button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I wanted to there was one, I don't know how much time we have, but there was one interesting thing that you touched on, Kai, that... <laughs> just one. It, just one of them. The other thing, maybe we should cut out. <laughs> um, no, but you, you mentioned VC and businesses and the fact that we don't have... We're, we're planning on not raising any, any money for this. We want this to be sustainable on the, from the money we make from selling that. Mm -hmm. We have a business model in mind there. Uh, but I do think something like VC funded businesses are also have also been causing a shift here. I think in the beginning, when people started releasing apps for the, for the, for the, especially for iOS, It was just an indie developer making something on their own and releasing mm -hmm. it. And they were able to get an income from that. And that was a sustainable way of doing business. But I think now there's just been this shift since there were more like bigger companies coming in that either had a different source of income or had VC backing them or even, and, and, and even people who just release something for free and then want to figure out how to make money or they figure they release something for free and then they are planning on selling you something else later on. Mm -hmm. I think. That added some complexities to the app store, but I just think all of that has just made the market so much more complex. And it's a lot harder to explain to your user now why you should be able to, why they should pay you either upfront or on a monthly basis. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a good point, especially VC companies yeah. without business model. It's yeah. really hard to say, why should I use your product if this other one is having a hundred people working on it and it's free yeah and it's 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 really difficult to express that like what are you going to write you're going to write that in your uh, in your release notes uh, like why why you why you charge for it it's just but it's quite also difficult why, why to... would some users care right i mean yeah you know if 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 i don't know some vc back company does everything we would do mm -hmm. and they care as much about the mac and about iOS, would be really hard to compete for us with them i mean we're lucky enough that it seems like most companies in our space are also businesses with business models mm -hmm. um which is kind of lucky but it would be hard right if if uber would now tomorrow say you know what we do time tracking invoicing very nicely on the mac they would be in a really good situation to do that and it would be hard for us to compete with that because we charge money and they can give it all away for free and figure it out or not figure it out in 10 years and it might go away or might, might not go away but you know mm. it's hard to explain that yeah i do think apple's doing some of that in in multiple ways yeah what i, I appreciate like i think apple is quite happy to promote in the developers that do have a plan and mm -hmm. i think i think it's great to see that they like i i, I always enjoy seeing in the apps being featured mm -hmm. uh, because i think it is they're actually 
having a plan behind it and they're actually really trying to make it work and uh, often often that's i think that should be encouraged but it's also like apple asks for what's your business model when you're submitting your app yeah. for consideration right there is i don't know how much that goes into their consideration of what's being featured yeah. but apple is in a situation and so far sometimes it's sometimes you see like oh cool multi-billion dollar company being featured do they need the feature probably not but it's exciting every time i see someone that we know or someone we've heard of doing an indie app and then being featured and that like generating to to them being sustainable being able to make great software that is that is super great and apple's in a great situation where they can can support those kind of things but also think like the the privacy sheet that we're getting in in the near future right that's another thing like it's hard to compete with someone who's selling like let's say a hypothetical uh uh, invoicing app called kryptonite that um where you put in all your data and then they sell it to marketers to figure out all right how much is that charging per minute how much is he paying himself how much Mm. is he uh you know how much is he which companies is he invoicing for and what what projects is he working on maybe also sell it to his competitor the competitors so they know what kind of task zach is working on Zach would maybe not know about that mm-hmm. um, because it's it's hard to do that. And at least having some forcing like a bit more of a privacy that is, I mean, again, that it's hard to capture everything, but yeah. having more visibility about the privacy statement of those companies yeah. Yeah, could so potentially help with it, explaining it, to a user, why is this app free? Because they use a lot of ads, because yeah. they use weird advertisement yeah. identifiers, because they're they're selling all your data to, to whoever pays a cent for it mm. might help indie indie developers who are genuine about a business model and say we don't sell anything mm. we just we just provide you the service that you're paying for yeah and that's another it. thing that would pr- probably be a cool addition to that would be to show how often is this app being updated i mean you can see that y- yeah but it's not as prominent and i don't think people look at the update history as much but i think if users would be more aware... Frequency is not always an indicator of... Yeah, do we really want true. to encourage the bug no, fixes and performance improvements every two mm. weeks? Yeah, yeah come I mean, that's the thing we're doing, right? <laughs> I, I think we kind of, without talking about it, we committed uh, uh, to to never have a minor, minor uh, bug fixes and improvements in our release notes, right? Mm-hmm. We always we always want to write what it is, no matter what it is. Yeah. First of all, we do know we're not a company where it's like 200 pull requests merge every day and they're all A-B tested and switch on and off. We know what updates we're, we're shipping every every day or every week. Yeah. Um, but I also think, there, admittedly, not a lot of people care anymore. I do think mm-hmm. the update tab is really far away now on iOS. It's a bit more prominent on macOS, but probably won't be forever. And I do understand that a lot of users do not care about updates. Some of them will, yeah. and we want to provide those users who do care an ability to see what's happening. Mm. And we did see kind of this shift where everyone puts those kind of what's new modal dialogues mm. up front uh, every time you open the app. Mm. I'm I'm personally not a big fan of that, especially for productivity software. If someone's like, all right, want to start working? And we're like, here's what's new, a bunch of features you might not care about. Mm-hmm. We want everything to be like, we we improve features, and as long as it doesn't fundamentally change the workflow you're used to, why would we tell you? Mm. If you have to figure out how to change the tax rate, you do that when you're actually looking for it. Yeah. We don't have to tell you that you can now change your tax rate, because realistically, no one ever does that. But the, the let's say, 1% of people who do, because, like for example, in Germany, they just changed the... Um, the value-added tax equivalent there for for COVID reasons they reduced that uh, temporarily. So a lot of businesses now actually had to change their their tax rate for all upcoming invoices because it's lower now for a while. 
very rare, but it, it is a thing that happened now. Mm-hmm. And in theory, we do support you adding a new text right for, for that situation and then remove it again when that situation is over. But we wouldn't want to tell everyone in the world to to, to put a model dialogue up there. Mm. But if you're, you know, if if you do are curious, you will find it then. And that's kind of our attitude to that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I do think Apple is in a strong position when they can promote those type of things to actually show, hey, this is why this app is paid for, or this is why this app, um, like this is the difference between those two apps. And I think I think you're right, Kyle. Like the, I haven't seen it yet, but I think the um sort of privacy dialogue would be quite could be very beneficial for that and also like i said featuring apps that are having like more sustainable business models or featuring apps that are from indie developers is a is a really good start for those things um but as a developer itself i think it's very important to just be very open about those things say why you're different say why you decided to go with a subscription model and be honest about it. it. Like, don't go with the subscription model if you don't believe in it yourself. And if you can't explain to people why you don't have it, I think it's quite important to be able to be comfortable in it and also be open about it. And like, talk if, if you are on Twitter or if you are on any other social media, just write about those things. I think that really doesn't... Uh, having that transparency is going to be people more comfortable and more understandable of your situation. But as always, m- most people probably won't care. And they wouldn't care no matter what, yeah, right? If yeah. people don't care about release notes, I don't think putting it into their face, despite them explicitly not looking for it, is, is beneficial. Some people won't care about your privacy policy, but at least it being there and being in a way that is like it, Apple's is not a full, like the, the privacy cards, they're not a full in depth of, of everything that your privacy policy includes, right? But it's 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 a snippet of, it, it will probably increase the amount of people that will have a look at that. And I think that's good. And people who do care can have a look at that. And people who care even more can go into your actual privacy policy and read the whole thing if they want to. And I think that is good and encouraged and, and, and showing that is is helpful. But we'll see. There, there are like a myriad of things. And I think the, there's also a lot of things that... Um, that will that will probably change over the next year, and it will be quite interesting to see with all of Apple's changes. Cool. Should we do? Yep. All right. Things of the week. Picks. All right. Let's do it very quickly. All right. Very quickly. <laughs> things of the week. Uh, let me start uh, then. Oh wait, we call it things of the week. <laughs> I was one. Things of the I week. Just, yeah, we got I it right. Co- yeah, I just corrected Kai you saying right. picks. Oh. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I'm the one usually doing that way. Mm. All right. Things of the week. Um, let me get started. I will pick a, speaking of indies, an indie game called Golf on Mars. It's the successor to the famous Desert Golfing. Um, and it's essentially just, uh, it moved it moved from, from a desert to a different type of uh, not very pleasant habitat, which is Mars. Also orange. Yeah, I guess the desert was more yellow and now it's orange. But that's not the only difference in the game. Uh, it also has a lower gravity because Mars has roughly, I think, 80, uh, 30, 40% of the gravity that we have on Earth. And the ball can now have a spin. So you can give the, the ball back and front spin and uh, top spin. And it kind of changes it. And it's, I guess, almost infinite. So it doesn't have an ending like Desert Golfing did. So you can keep playing it. Because I actually completed Desert Golfing and then I was kind of didn't have golfing on in the desert anymore. So now Golf on Mars is a good outlet for, for those kind of for those kind of situations where I want to play Desert Golfing. <laughs> um, but overall, it's just, it's a nice polish, um, polished, similarly simple golf game on your phone and i i 
enjoy quite a lot. Mm. Coco? Yeah. Seems fun. I haven't finished desert golfing yet. You will understand Golf on Mars even if you didn't get yeah. the storyline <laughs> of desert golfing. Okay. <laughs> um, so my pick, also going with the indie theme, um, is a podcast called Launched. Um, it's a podcast where the host called uh, Charlie Chapman, um, he has different people on the podcast every time interviewing guests about the products they're working on or the apps that they recently worked on or that they recently released. And I found it to be a really, really good podcast. And I, uh, I, I enjoy listening to people's stories about how they made an app and how they launched an app. And it's, um, yeah, it's just a really, really cool concept. And I think we have ta- been talking about that on our podcast before that we, we were hoping to have some, some more guests, but I think this is a really, really neat format to specifically sort of highlight people, uh, in the com- people, people who are making, making something special and people who are building, building stuff themselves. So I really enjoyed listening. I haven't listened to the latest episode. I really enjoyed listening to episode 16, um, about tasks. Um, that was a really, uh, really interesting episode. And yeah, if you just want to hear about like different people's experience with like building something or launching something, it can be anything from like launching a podcast to actually to, to launching an app. If you want to hear more about their experiences for their specific project, I think it's, uh, it's a really, really nice type of concept. And I really enjoy it. Mm. Mm. Awesome. All right, Zach. Cool. Must be the week for podcasts <laughs> because I've also picked a podcast called Binge Thinking, which I only discovered about a week ago and have listened to a few episodes so far. It's it's quite interesting in that the host interviews various young professionals from a range of different fields. And I found it so far just sort of really interesting to learn about different professions and to have people talk about sort of their journey, like what they were interested in as a kid, where they ended up. Because I generally in day-to-day life speak to a lot of tech people and, you know, talk a lot about a lot of tech, but it's interesting and good to hear about other industries and the paths people take and sort of what uh, career progression looks like in other industries because I am really naive there and I don't actually know <laughs> what goes on in a lot of fields. Um, so it's quite interesting. There's, there's the interview is really good. The host is really good. Um, I think he asks really insightful questions, um, and has a, a good range of guests. Um, so it's 60 something up ep- the 60 something episodes in now. I've gone back and like handpicked a few that interest me in particular on various topics. Um, but there's heaps of good stuff. Um, and yeah, the few that I've listened to so far, very interesting. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just good to learn about something different and to, to listen to podcasts that aren't tech. Mm. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I also been trying to sort of expand my podcast range to, to listen to some yep. more, uh, just broader podcasts or podcasts with different people. And yeah, it's, there are some really good podcasts out there. Yeah. Who knew there are, uh, there are other podcasts out there than tech podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Shock horror. Yeah. No, it's a, I, I enjoy those kind of something different mm. than, than um, you know, what I'm thinking about all day to just kind of hear a different discussion. It's good. Um, and to hear other people's, what other people go through on a daily basis as well, just to expand my circle of knowledge a little bit. Mm. And of course, an Australian podcast has a reference to binge drinking. <laughs> of course. I mean, yeah, that part's not, uh, not great. Oh, but that's what it's. You know, binge think so. thinking. I thought it was like bin thinking, but binge thinking. <laughs> no. 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 Thinking. All right, cool. Mm. All right. Awesome. Cool. Um, let's stop here without having an outro. So I guess <laughs> I guess our wrap up is this was all about subscriptions. Talking about subscriptions yeah, yeah. and two podcasts to subscribe to. We have had this on yeah. our list for 
ages, though. I remember when Tower Changer model. We spoke a little bit about it, but I think we wanted to do a bigger episode on mm. subscriptions, and it never happened. Yeah. So glad we got. But there. it's also I find it fascinating because mm. it's it's somehow both technical, but also how do we do this mm. thing that we all think is valuable in this in this yeah. industry to have indie development but yeah. how do we yeah. make yeah. that and how do we get to a point where because it, it's such a weird industry right it almost feels like different very different like it, i wouldn't compare us we, we, like if you compare yourself to uber we're both di- like uber and us we're both companies that are within the tech space but it's like day-to-day looks a hundred percent different right it's it couldn't be any more different mm-hmm, mm-hmm. despite both of them being tech products that publish in the, on the app stores yeah but it's but so... i think that is so difficult for people who are not in tech to understand mm. it's not it's not that visual and i think for many people it's not really clear why certain apps are free or how many people are working in a company or who makes apps <laughs> like i think some people think apple makes all of the yeah. apps or they think that if they have an app on ios it should be available on android as well and i think there's just so much complexity around it that many people don't understand and i don't think there's a reason why they would understand it because it's never exposed to them mm. so and it's very different it's, from like the real world the real world example if we look at a coffee shop people understand that the coffee shop at your corner that is called local coffee shop it's different from starbucks despite them both mm-hmm. selling coffee but i in in the digital world there's just so many layers of abstraction and them all yeah. being in the same store you know if you go to your local supermarket and you see uh like two coffee bean bags next to each other that's already an abstraction enough where they were you might not realize that one is a local roaster <laughs> and the other one is a uh, multinational corporation that sells coffee beans all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Just this one extra level of abstraction does hide some of what how how those businesses might be completely different mm-hmm. despite them both being in the same store. So it's it's interesting. Mm. And, and we don't really have, on iOS in particular, we don't really have this option to say we, we start our own coffee shop, right? You could do... Yeah. There is only the app store. So we kind of have to... And I mean, those are often interesting problems to work around, right? Mm. How but can there are we also be... benefits. I think some coffee, some people who make, who, who roast coffee benefit from being a big box big Sure, big sure. Box I store. mean, that's, that's so, often uh, why they're there. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's interesting how within those confines can we still kind of establish the, mm. the difference between those things to people who might not care about tech in general but maybe would care about supporting smaller businesses or like we we got a lot of emails where people are like hey this and that and we're kind of negative and when they notice that we're a small business they're like oh man i really like to support small and new businesses mm-hmm. well uh how can i support you <laughs> it's like it completely switched because i do think people generally do want to support smaller local businesses that care about their customers more so than than incredibly large uh, corporations and also there is a big difference right there are so, some corporations that do care a lot more about their customers than than others uh, right tim is always talking about that customer sad that <laughs> apple has but it, there is there is honestly a difference of how apple treats their customers yeah. from from a lot of other companies my point is just it's not that all big businesses are terrible and mm. all small businesses are great. They're also small businesses that are terrible and they're scammy and try to rip you off. Yeah. Yeah. It, and especially, I think that is something that you see within subscriptions as well. Like, yeah. I mean, anywhere really. I think there, there are scammy people all over the world. And if, if there are scammy pe- 
people leading 100 people companies then you have a company with 100 scammers cool um but it's it's like it's hard to convey that difference in in in, in a digital market space and yeah, i think that's yeah. very fascinating to figure out all right how do you present yourself and how do you get that across that you you're not that that yeah. you are someone who does care and how do we because we know it's a lot that we can convey that as soon as people reach out to us but at yeah. the moment our app store listing for example doesn't seem to show that enough just and i mean our text is very clearly written not in a corporate way mm. but i think a lot of people don't even look at the text that we're writing mm. um i mean our logo is still a rocket it's like it's clearly not it's clearly a bit yeah, but more that doesn't playful. mean not you know there are also other <laughs> enterprise focused apps that have rockets it's 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 i, I just th- mm. find that kind of interesting space where we're now definitely trying to be outside of the app store we're trying to kind of make it very clear it's more than me company you know mm. but it's I, I find it very fascinating and interesting 